Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. And joining us, as he does every week at this time, is Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing well, and in the spring when it comes to fishing and I see these cold fronts coming, I go, ooh. Uh, and in spring when I see the weather kind of stabilize, I go, oh, that's great. But in fall, the cold weather is not our enemy, is it? It is not. It's a great thing. It's going to boost, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. If you're a waterfowl hunter, you love it for the migration of that. Right now, uh, if you're an elk hunter, you're going to help push those elk into the wintering patterns, which is a very stable pattern, which we love seeing. Uh, Most importantly, if you're a mule deer hunter, we are right on the cusp of the the beginning phases of that rut. We're not in rut yet. Uh, You know, a lot of people wonder when that is. You know, really, I would say kind of statewide, we're really heavy November 20th, almost you know, the end of the month where that rut's really kicking in. But the deer go into that slow. They kind of start appearing. They come out of the woodwork. So it's a slow process to kind of start that rut for the deer. And this cold weather is exactly what we need for that. So on the hunting side, it is full-blown amazing. Snow and cold is your friend. And then on the fishing side, 100% the, the exact same. Um, and, and you nailed it on the head. I think a lot of people don't understand that. When the water is cold trying to warm, cold fronts and things like that crush the bite but when the water is warm cooling the cold does nothing but spike the bite and increase the fish's activity so we we love seeing that so as a as a sportsman across the board uh the cold front coming even though it might be not necessarily super conducive to us as the person you know participating in the sport what it does to the opportunities that we're seeking is through the roof so it is a very good thing that this cold front's coming we love to see it Oh, without question. I mean, it's just, um, it gets you excited because you know what's going to happen. You know, the, the, it changes uh, the patterns of the, the game animals, including some of them even go to hyperphagia. But the fish really, if you're in a warm water lake, the bait changes, the fish gather up. If you're in a cold water lake, those trout love this cooling weather and they get closer to shore and more active. It's just, where do you start, Nate? Where are you going to take people? You know, the first thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about the fishing before we jump into the hunting. Because there's one thing that I would say that my phone is blowing up with, um, and I don't have the answer that everybody wants to hear. I have the opposite. But regardless, I think we should touch base on it. If you look at our front range waters, other than a, a few impoundments, most of our freshwater fishery is based on a shad-based lake. So our forage of food is shad on a, on a good portion of most of the walleye waters. If you grab a rod and head walleye fishing, more than likely you're going to be fishing a shad-based lake. Now, this year we are on a very high forage of shad. So Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Pueblo, Boyd, most of our major walleye waters um, are having a very high influx of shad we had a great spawn um so we have got a ton of bait now that bait sometimes can make the the angling side a little tougher you really have to get these fish to react or you really have to cater to them and make it easy on them but the only thing that we know for sure um is the the odds of getting lucky on fish is not quite there you really have to target these fish when you do you're going to have good opportunity but the main thing we want to talk about i keep getting text after text after text and call i mean hundreds of them saying man we can't wait for next week that cold front's going to kill the shad and it's going to be good now 
if you Google Shad and you talk about cold fronts killing them, yes, a massive cold front, but more so a dramatic water temperature change can can kill the shad. I would say that the odds of that happening are are less than 1%. It's just not something that's going to happen for us. We have a very hardy base of gizzard shad. We have deep water for these fish to be in. And just being reservoirs opposed to lakes, we're not going to get that shock factor. When you talk about getting a shad kill, um, we have better odds of, of having a heavy snowfall on top of ice and getting oxygen deprivation to hurt the shad population more so than a temperature change. It takes multiple degrees of a water temperature change to, to hurt those shad. And we just don't get that, Terry. Our water is deep enough, um, you know, with a constant flow of water in and out, really stabilizing our fisheries. Um, I mean, we might lose a couple of shad um, here and there. But when you talk about a, a shad kill that's going to affect the fishing in a good way, it's a massive kill. And it's just not something we see here. Um, I mean, if you look at, I've owned and operated Tightline now 20 years in Colorado. And I, I I can think of one or two situations where we've even had minor kill-offs. Um, you know, our only hope of, of lacking shad is usually when they lower the water during the shad spawn. But true temperature change, we just don't see it that often. It's not as common as it is in the south or some of the other states. Um, so just to, to throw that out there, if you're struggling on your bite, I would not count on a cold front killing the shad making the bite go through the roof i would really focus on your pattern as an angler putting more focus um maybe on a skill that you're good at so if, if you're struggling with the jigging wraps and blade baits and the reaction fishing maybe start focusing more on low light and fishing jerk baits that might be an easier technique or you know if you don't have the capabilities of night fishing really hone in on your skills um, of finding the fish on your graph targeting individual fish working on your stroke breaking down color patterns but uh more than anything i just wanted to clear that up because again the phone's blowing up about the shad kill that everybody is anticipate coming and, and i just don't see that happening well and i think you touched on a couple points we should clarify in there too it it's not going to get a massive feed like there's going to be hundreds and thousands of dead shad but what the cooler weather does do is it does move those bait fish together and repositions them and i think Absolutely. when anglers when anglers experience that great fishing it's because you're able to understand those fat those shad do get stressed and they do get in bigger balls of bait now when you so you have to locate those so it does aid you in locating the fish and it does concentrate the predators but you have to understand that in fish form it's not like it's just a free for all that's it. That, that's it, 100%. That's the biggest thing that the cold water does to our freshwater fishers. And this is going to be for everything, for trout, for walleye, for bass. Uh, is this going to gather those bait fish? And right now, when you have water you know, in the 50-degree mark and, and even higher in some cases with the nice weather we've had, you, know, you can have shad as shallow as 8, 9, 10 feet of water, and you have shad down in 30 to 40 feet of water. You have bait spread everywhere. All your predator fish, again, the bass, the walleye, the trout, the catfish, everything feeding on those fish will spread out. When you get your bait condensed due to that water temperature change, more so than even you know, enhancing the thermocline, you're going to gather the bait and therefore gather the predators, which in turn will help you out. Uh, but again, I think people keep talking, if you look at the forums right now, talking about a shad kill, um, I, I wouldn't anticipate that coming. Now, before we move on to hunting, give me one mountain place and one front range place you'd go fishing next week. I'll tell you right now why why we're on our very last 
you know, couple weeks of open water, um, any of the South Park fisheries right now from shore. Obviously, it's closed to boating, um, but working a jerk bait or a tube jig from shore, um, there are some absolute gigantic trout coming out of all the South Park lakes right now. Um, so I think that opportunity would probably be my number one thing for a mountain fishery. I would get up there, and we're seeing pike, we're seeing big brown, seeing big rainbows. Um, so shore fishing any of the South Park fisheries, I think, would be a great way to go out there. And if I had to fish the front range, I would probably hit Cherry Creek. Uh, you know, Aurora's fishing good, uh, but not great. Cherry Creek has such big fish, has a lot of fish. Um, and more than anything, Cherry Creek does not have the depth that Aurora or Chatfield does. There's a lot of good walleye action right now at Chatfield and Aurora. The problem is you have fish in three, four feet of water. And like we said, you have fish in 40 feet of water. So you have so much opportunity to have to, to go find those fish as to where to Cherry Creek. You know, your, your max depth's 28, but most of the fishery is, is under 20 feet deep. Your shallow structure is very, you know, conduced. So you have a lot better odds of finding walleyes, targeting those walleyes, and really building a pattern quicker at Cherry Creek. So if I was on the front range, uh, I think hit fishing Cherry Creek right now with blade baits and jig and wraps, really honing in on finding those fish, building that pattern, and carrying that pattern to multiple places on that fishery uh, is going to be a great way to spend your day out here on front range. All right. We only have a few minutes left. So what should I be doing if I'm a hunter? You know, the biggest thing right now, I would say, is especially on the deer side. I have a deer tag right now. My wife, Mandy, has a deer tag right now. We're putting a major focus on that. I mean, there's so many opportunities for different hunts going on. But with those mule deer, I'm putting a major focus on locating does. Even though I have no intent of hunting the does, I'm really watching the does, and I'm watching which does are solo and which does are really starting to gather some bucks. Now, they might not be the buck I'm looking to harvest as far as maturity level, but I'm watching to see which does the bucks are paying attention to because more than likely those are going to be the first does that are going to be breedable, and those are going to be the does that are drawing in those bigger bucks. Now, I'm not really sitting on the does like waiting for a buck to show up, but if I have a a drainage or a valley or if I have an area – that has some does that are looking like they might be breedable sooner than later, all of a sudden, you know, a hundred yards away or maybe a half mile away in those thicker areas and those more, you know, nasty cuts, the dark timber, the rocky areas, the canyons, that's where those bigger bucks are living. And you're going to start seeing those bucks coming out of those areas to start to check on those does, to start to be aware of those does. So right now, as we really get into the, the beginning phases of the mule deer rut in most of our, our places in Colorado, I'm really putting a focus on, on watching where I have does that are going to go into heat first, where they're going to be breedable, and those big bucks are going to draw in there like a magnet. And that's going to be a, a key focus for me uh, in the opportunity of pursuing a, a really mature Colorado mule deer here. All right, my friend, if people want more information or some of your upcoming events, I know you have a lot of ice fishing coming up. Where would they get a hold of you? And quickly, what do you have coming up? Absolutely. We have everything associated right now to our Facebook page. We're in the process of rebuilding our entire website. Uh, so the website will have everything about ice addiction. It'll have everything about ice school. It'll have the 2021 dates for catch rate. Uh, so our website is undergoing a, a major overhaul. It will be up uh, hopefully in a week or two. Uh, but right now, go to Facebook, uh, and we're excited. We'll start announcing everything about ice addiction and all of our future events very soon. So uh, just, again, if you're looking for information, always find us on Facebook at Tightline Outdoors. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again next week. Talk to you soon. All right, Nate Zielinski of Tightline Outdoors, always a great resource. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I was feeling the blues. I was watching the news. 
Harry Wilson Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors. You know, if you need something for the outdoors, Jack's has got it. Speaking of Jack's, let's go right to the phones. And joining us from there is Julie Hobby. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. It's a beautiful day out. I think we're going to get one more day of this good weather, and then it's going to change. And I want to talk to you about that. But before we do, why don't you tell people which Jack's store you're calling you work at? I work at Jack's Loveland West, which is our newest location on West Eisenhower. Just as you're heading out of town, you really can't miss it, can you? And it's, I've been in it. You are, is there anything you guys don't have in that store? I mean, it's amazing. I but honestly really don't is. think we have it. I think we have it all, honestly. <laughs> I it think, might take I a think, couple of trips to walk around. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Hey, we've been talking, you know, cold weather is going to tr- trigger some of the best fishing of the year but it's not going to be as comfortable out. We're going to start, people People are getting outside more than ever. They still want to keep going for walks. They want to keep hiking. They're going to start snowshoeing. They're going to start cross-country skiing. Ice fishing is coming up. I mean, we have so many winter, hunting is going on. So many winter activities. And I think over the years, we have kind of beat people about layering, which is so important. I'm not trying to belittle it, but we talk about an outer shell of something like Gore-Tex. We talk about different things like that. But boy, if you don't start with the right foundation, that base layer, it just doesn't make sense, does it? You could, the whole thing doesn't work. Right. You definitely want a base layer so that um, you can provide an extra layer of warmth and absorb and evaporate sweat. Well, that base layer is going to be one you're going to, you know, you may take off your outer shell. You may take off a hooded sweatshirt, hopefully that isn't cotton. We'll talk more about that. But you're going to have that base layer on all the time. So when I come in, uh, I assume there's different levels of base layer and different materials. What do you need to know about my activities to start the process? First, we want to know where you're going to be. Um, If you're just going to maybe do a light fall hike, we'll suggest uh, possibly silk or um, a synthetic Uh, basically the base layer is going to be the closest thing to your skin and it should act as a second skin. Um, You'll want it to fit snug, but also give you flexibility to move. Um, They come in three different weights. One is light, which would be moderate to cool temperatures. Midweight is for cold temperatures and then heavy weight is below freezing. All right. And if I'm hiking, so you need to know the activity. I know it could be much different for snowshoeing than it would be for sitting in a deer stand, right? Right. Um, So there's three different fabrics that are great for a base layer. Um, First one would be a synthetic. um, That's like a polyester nylon or polypropylene or rayon blend. Um, They're great at wicking sweat, and they're actually the most durable option. Um, They're not the best for odor retention, uh, but they do the job well, and they're less expensive than merino wool. Uh, merino wool is also a great option. It wicks moisture, and it doesn't make you feel like you're quite as dry as a synthetic, um, but it's highly resistant to odor. So if you're going to go hunting, merino wool would be best because that's going to keep you the most warm. And if you're going to be wearing it for a few days, you're not going to get as stinky. <laughs> and and then, uh, the, animals, <laughs> the animals will tell that. So I come in, yes. and, and I, I need a good base layer. Take me through the different levels. What do I have to spend? 
Well, we have three really great brands at Jack's. Um, the first and most popular brand is SmartWool. Um, that brand runs anywhere between 70 to 140, and that would be like your either your top or your bottom. Um, we also carry tank tops for the summer if you're going to be hiking, you know, in warmer temperatures, but the wool will still keep you, uh, you know, nice and cool. Uh, we also carry, um, it's called Carry Traw. It is... Um, created by an Olympic skier. She wanted to make some base layers for women that weren't just basic gray and black colors. She likes bright colors and um, patterns. So those are also a great option. Those are 40 to $110. And then we carry Terramar, which gives you three different la- layers of, or levels of warmth. And those range only from 40 to 70. So those are a great option for anybody who is definitely looking at the price point. You know, I want to go back. You mentioned the one for women, and in all brands, but especially the one that's designed by a woman for women, you know, if you went back 20 years ago, women had to to adapt, whether it was warmer clothing, even boots at some times, especially outdoor gear. They had to find men's sizes that tried to work for them. The industries of all the outdoor manufacturers have really changed, and clothing is no different, not only stylish more for women, but fits better for a woman's body, don't they? Absolutely. They're nicely cut um, and trim, you know, towards our waist area. Um, But also she's great at, you know, mixing the colors. So it also makes you look a little bit more slim. So you might get some darker colors around the waist and stomach area. Um, So it makes you also feel good and look good um, when you're on the ski slopes. Now, when we say wool, you know, a lot of people that are older think back, they think it's scratchy. So isn't that wool scratchy against my skin? Not with merino wool. It's not like the old wool that you remember from, you know, when you were a kid and your grandparents had a wool scarf given to you for Christmas. It's not like that. Merino wool is very soft to the touch, and many people don't even notice that it is wool when they put it on. They think it's very soft to the skin, and then once you tell them it is wool, they, they're very surprised. I know. I've seen that reaction. And the the merino wool just seems to last forever, doesn't it? Is it easy to care for? It is. All you really need to do is wash it or even hand wash it and hang dry. We do not suggest putting any merino wool in the dryer. And and they just have so much wear. The polys are good, but they um, they tend to wear out or they tend to, you, you want to replace them a little more quicker. So even though they're less expensive, what about putting a light poly layer and then a wool second layer? Is that is it better to have the wool right against your skin or a combination of both? What do you guys recommend? I would just say to use one base layer, um, but merino wool would definitely be the best choice closest to your skin. That will just help wick away your moisture and keep you cool and dry and not, um, you know, you don't want to hold on to that sweat and then, you know, be in freezing temperatures and, you know, get hypothermia or anything. Well, hypothermia comes at a lot higher, warmer temperatures than people think. Most hypothermia comes between 50 and 60 degrees. People don't realize that. And the weather changes so quickly in the mountains. And if you do sweat, you know, uh, let's, you know, a lot of people will wear a cotton T-shirt or cotton briefs. Well, if you're a 90-degree day, cotton's comfortable. But, boy, does it hold moisture. That's about the worst thing you could do would be to put cotton under that wool, right? Absolutely. You definitely don't want to wear any cotton when you're going out into the cold and trying to stay warm. I told this story before in the air, but I'll tell it again. I actually, I teach some survival courses, and one of those is dressing properly for the activity and understanding. And we have a a saying in the um, survival industry that cotton kills. And you're never supposed to put that cotton T-shirt, that cotton sweatshirt, those cotton briefs on. 
Well, my wife Karen and I were going snowshoeing up at Rocky Mountain National Park, a beautiful day. We decided at the last minute. I changed clothes and put my base layer on, but I'm thinking, well, we're running up there quick. I left my cotton briefs on. That's all I left, but I left them on, and I just, yeah, I'll be okay. And I teach that this is wrong. We got up there, and we did our snowshoeing run. I don't remember how far we went, but it, it's a demanding activity. You work up a sweat. We came out on the road maybe a half mile to a mile at the most from where the car is parked. Took the snowshoes off, started walking to the car. I was shaking so bad because the hypothermia started in just from the time we stopped snowshoeing and that leisurely walk to the car that I couldn't open the car my wife had to open the car for me and turn the heater on just from wearing those cotton briefs. And I know better. So it's real. It's real folks. It really can affect you. The last thing I want to ask you about another thing people overlooked is headwear and scarves. Now scarves probably aren't as popular in the U S as they are in Europe, but they really make a difference. But keeping your head and neck area warm is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, We sell turtle fur. We have, um, a lot of different uh, brands here. We have Pistol, um, but Turtle Fur seems to be our most popular. Uh, we just carry a lot more styles to help keep your head warm. We have beanies, fleece gaiters, um, balaclavas, and um, different like uh, fleece headbands for women, and they come in a vari- various materials. And it's amazing what putting one of those on will do. We used to have a saying in the ice fishing industry, if your feet are cold, put a cap on. Because you can lose so much heat from your neck and your head if you don't keep them warm. You know, um, Julie, just been a great wealth of information. And they carry all these brands at all the Jack stores? We sure do. So the best thing is go in and just talk to somebody in the clothing department and they'll walk you through this. I've found that everybody in the Jack stores is so knowledgeable. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. That's Julie Hobby. She was so, wasn't she great? I mean, that's the kind of people you run into. You go into a Jack store, you're going to get that kind of help and knowledge. These aren't just clerks. They're enthusiasts. They know their products. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Chad Lachance is going to join us for a couple segments, and he's going to talk hunting and fishing on Terry Wicksham Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Before we go to Chad, who's waiting to talk both hunting and fishing with us, we'll get to him in just a minute. I want to tell you one more time quickly about our newest partner on this show. That's T-Mobile. Um, I was just, the folks at T-Mobile came and said they wanted a partner on the phone and I th- on the show, and I thought, how important is my phone to my outdoor activities? And boy, when I started thinking about it, the things I use it for, um, I use it for GPS and maps to get to places. I use the CPW fishing app that not only tells me information about a, about a fishing opportunity that I'm headed to or want to head to or that I'm near, it'll show me how to tie knots. I use it on my social media to report activities when I'm in the outdoors or do a little bragging, um, take photos of what I'm doing. I use the iNaturalist app. The iNaturalist app, you go and you, you can document a plant or an animal, a bug, a bird, whatever it is. And if you know what it is, you can document that you saw it, when and where. If you don't know what it was, is thousands of people around the country will help you identify it. I mean, our mobile phones, they integrate every part of our life. Like 
Cotrex, the Colorado Trails, it links every trail in Colorado. There's an off-road trail app, anything you do outdoors. There's an app. How about the weather apps? How important are they to what you're going to be doing outdoors? So it made perfect sense to partner with T-Mobile as a partner on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. T-Mobile, they've merged with Sprint. Their network is bigger and better than ever. And they've concentrated on increasing in Colorado the rural access so that the people outdoors can take advantage of it. Places like Fort Collins, Longmont, Glenwood Springs, Steamboat Springs all have better access, so you can use these for your outdoor gear. Go to a local neighborhood T-Mobile store and check them out and tell them you heard about them on Terry Wickstrom. Let's go right to the phones now and joining us, and he's going to talk some hunting and fishing, is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning. Beautiful fall day here, huh? Oh, it is. Well, you know, I was looking on Facebook, and I saw you just harvested a monster buck. So I imagine somebody as experienced as you in the outdoors just took a couple hours off one afternoon, went out, shot that, brought it home, and you're all done. Is that about all it takes? Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, nothing to it. You know, I bought a new rifle last week, and I shot it twice and made sure it was boresighted, and then I just went, you know, <laughs> went out and shot the first one I saw. Now, you know, the funny thing about it is people think of me as a fisherman, and I've, I've been a lifelong hunter and as well as a fisherman. And the thing that always comes back to me is when I'm in the field and I'm looking for game, because I'm a fisherman first and foremost, I end up going back to the same things that I use to locate fish to locate game. I mean, it's a lot of the same natural concepts from for, that go back and forth between hunting and fishing. And I know there's so many people that are new to the outdoors this year, um, and I just don't think that they maybe tie the two together or understand that the same, you know, maybe I'm a fisherman that took up hunting during this whole, you know, the, the whole surge that's been going on. Uh, a lot of the same concepts apply and, and we use them. It took me just for the record on that deer hunt. I was very lucky, uh, but I spent nine days in the field all day, every day for nine days in the field, hiking canyons, looking for deer. And that gives you plenty of time to strengthen your mindset of how you're going about your process and to really think your process through and uh, and narrow it down so that you're not just blindly walking around out there in the woods with a gun. And, well, and that's really what it comes down to. Well, you know, I really hit on some points that you and I talk about. One of the themes of this show has always been don't get ready to hunt, be ready to hunt. So have your clothing. We just talked about clothing. Have your clothing ready. Understand it fits, how your gun fits with it. You talked about bore sighting your rifle. Obviously, I know better than that, that you went and spent time to zero your rifle in. You got used to shooting it, made sure you were comfortable with all the manual of arms on it. And the more diligent you are about putting in time for a hunt, the greater your chances of success get, even homework done at home online, we're not saying if you don't have time, you shouldn't go out and try to spend a few hours hunting. Get outdoors as long as you can do it safely and in a way that doesn't endanger you or anybody else. But it really, it just exponentially, your chance of success goes up with effort, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that's what it comes down to with fishing as well. You get out what you put in in a lot of ways. And yeah, you might get lucky and catch a big fish or or shoot a big deer somewhere in in, on short period of time and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to your preparation. And, but the the key part of the thing is, is that the concepts are the same. So one of the things we're always looking at for a fisherman, right? We're always looking at at contour changes, structural elements in the lake, right? Drop-offs, edges, things like that. Well, that's fundamentally exactly the same. When I'm looking for deer, 
big giant wide open canyon. I'm studying the structural elements of the canyon first to determine where I might find deer. And then I will look at those closer to look for deer. Same as I would for fishing. I'm going to look at channels. I'm going to look at drop-offs. I'm going to look at the major elements of the lake or the major elements of the riverbed and decide from there how I want to approach my game. Then I'm going to, after I look at the structural elements and I decide what I'm, what I like as far as the structure goes, then I'm going to look at the cover, which is specifically where that game can hide in or find bedding, you know, bedding comfort in, same as I would for fish you know bass like weeds we know that so if we can find a good drop off and it's got some weeds on it we have structure and cover and we have a good spot to catch a bass same concepts go down with deer and then the the the, the other one that goes with it is food sources so i'm looking for the structural elements that will determine where my deer will travel i'm looking for the cover that will determine where they will rest and the food sources that are going to determine obviously where they're going to and from to eat and when it comes to those food sources and you've got to look at those based on the availability of the food source and the seasonality so for instance bass love crayfish but crayfish hibernate in the winter so crayfish aren't maybe your best food source in the wintertime, uh, as far as when you're approaching bass, right? But in the springtime, when crayfish are on the march, well, now you've got a really good food source for your bass to get a hold of. So it's a seasonal thing that goes with it as well. But the, the underlying point of the whole thing is the same concepts of, of edges, of structure, of feeding habits. All of that go together whether I'm hunting for bass or I'm hunting for deer. And as an outdoorsman, if I master those concepts, I can carry them through no matter what kind of game or fish I'm trying to harvest. Now, last question before I want to take a break and then talk fishing, and that's uh, your rifle. You know, we kidded, said I bore sighted it. How important is it for you to practice and zero in and be comfortable with whatever firearm for whatever hunting you're doing at the time? In my mind, that's day one. You have to do that. You can't go buy a brand new rifle or something and go to range and zero it and because you can hit a target at 100 yards stationary off a bench does not mean that you are ready to go in the field and hunt. The, the deer I harvested this year was not a long shot. It was only an 80-yard shot, but it's at a really goofy angle and really steep terrain and shooting from my knees on a flexible shooting stick not the same as shooting at a bench at a piece of paper at 100 yards. I've shot my rifle in every real-world condition I could shoot it in. I carry my big-game rifle out and harvest prairie dogs that are being poisoned in farm fields because they're they're causing problems in farm fields because that's the best real-world practice for hunting there is. Shooting paper is fun. Uh, it'll get you, you – you'll understand where your gun works, how your safety works, how your bolt works, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, real-world shooting scenarios, especially in the wind – and at various angles is really important. And I don't think anyone realizes how much wind really affects their bullet until you get out and shoot in it. But when you start shooting at, at a small target from, you know, two or 300 yards away and you're looking at 6, 8, 10, 12 inches of wind drift, it's easy to see why you lose respect for, for the game if you don't go out and practice in the in the real-world environment. And, uh, and just for the record, rifle practice is fun, too. <laughs> Hey, and it paid off. Tell people real quick before we go to break about the deer you did harvest. Well, I'm very lucky, Terry, and I hunt a mix of public and private land, and I I harvested a, a massive old mule deer buck uh, that's we figure somewhere seven and a half or eight and a half years old. I have the teeth. I'm going to have the, the buck officially aged. Uh, 
probably a 300 plus pound deer, a huge bodied mule deer, and uh, big deformed, non typical horn, horns on them, massive bases, just an incredible buck, and I'm very lucky. And, you know, I've been hunting deer, I want to point out, I've been hunting deer for 37 years. So it's not, uh, it's not like I just went out and stumbled into a big one. I've spent a lot of time, a lot of my life looking for deer and, uh, and managed to find a really great one this year. And I also want to point out that, yes, I'm a trophy hunter, I like big giant horns. But you guys would appreciate this. I roasted both shoulders whole and then bra- smoked them in the smoker and then braised them down for a total of eight hours of cooking time. And it is the most incredible venison you've probably ever had. Yeah, and Even taking care of the meat up. is really a, a a primary type task. And I think we need to cover that again someday. We're gonna not. We're gonna skip that part. We're gonna take a timeout. When we come back. Chad, I want to talk fishing, but before we do that, they can see pictures of that buck on your Facebook page. Is that right? Yeah, there's some pictures of them up on, on the Chadwell Chance Facebook page. If uh, if people want to go see there, uh, I'd be glad to, to have people go take a look at him. He's an incredible buck, and I'm very lucky to have him. All right, we're going to put you on hold, Chad. When we come back, I want to talk conditions for fishing right now, if that's okay. Sounds good. All right, we'll come up. We'll take a quick break on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Zimmerman went to the same high school as him. Very privileged to have known him. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Oh, by the way, you know him as Bob Dylan. Let's go right back to the phones. We're talking to our good friend Chad Lachance. And Chad, we, we're talking hunting, but I want to switch it up because the weather change that's coming and what's happening, uh, we're going to see some changes in the fishing, but I think they're going to be positive ones. What do you think? Absolutely. That's why I wanted to go to the fishing side. But I think this this impending weather front that's coming right now, this cold snap, is just going to light the fishing up. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised how good the fishing gets. We've had this prolonged warm weather, and uh, and I think there's some pent up uh, pent up uh, energy. Let's just say in the ecosystems right now, the water's warmer than normal. And, uh, you know, we've had a couple of cold snaps and some snow, but by and large, I mean, I'm outside in a T-shirt in in the 7th of November right now. So, uh, but this weather that's coming is going to be serious. And what's going to happen is it's going to cool the surface of the water. And when the surface of the water cools, it's going to sink. And it's going to basically release some of the energy that's in the ecosystem. We're going to have some bait fish that are going to die off significantly. And uh, and it's going to create a really a really strong surge in what I, what's known as hyperphagia, or the fall feeding bins. Fish are really going to feed. So I don't think it's going to matter a whole lot whether you're talking about trout up in, in North Park or South Park or you're talking about walleyes here at Horsetooth or whatever. I think all of our fisheries are going to get really good right now. And the key the key to it is going to be to fish specifically to the conditions that we're dealing with. So um, I think it's really important to understand the relation, particularly let's start, let's start with reservoirs here. It's important to understand the fish's relation to the wintering basins, the main basins of the lake where they're going to spend the bulk of their winter and the, the bait fish are going to do the same thing. So I'm going to want to be fishing somewhere near the main basins of the lake. This is not the time of the year to be beating the banks for the most part. Um, this is definitely the time of year where I'm going to go fish, uh, deep structure, offshore structure, ridges, humps, uh, stuff like that when it comes to reservoirs. The only time I'm going to move on the banks right now 
is when we get a significant wind blowing in on the bank or something like that, when the storm starts coming in and maybe it's blowing in on the, on the bank somewhere, then maybe I will because that'll get that bank stirred up. But for the most part, I'm fishing offshore this time of year. The key is the fish will bite. And so if you're not getting bites, you need to change your deck range, move your position or something like that. Because when they're on this fall feeding bench, they're going to feed pretty well. And, and you should be able to count on that. And this weather that's coming is absolutely textbook for it. And it it will produce, there's two times of the year where we talk about where the bigger fish are more accessible. Not that you can't catch a big fish year-round, but spring during the spawning season for most of the warm water species uh, is and, uh, and the rainbow trout, they get very accessible. And then in the fall, because of the concentration of bait fish, the changing water, the hyperphagia, almost all the fish, the big fish become more vulnerable again. I think we obviously catch some of our biggest fish this time of the year too, don't you? Oh, yeah, without question, and that's what I'm looking for this time of year. The numbers game is June and July. The size game is, you know, April, May, and now. And uh, and there's no doubt about that. And, you know, if you if a guy wants to catch the biggest train he's ever seen, now's the time to hit the, the North Park, South Park, you know, type deal. Uh, some of the, the pothole lakes up in Laramie, stuff like that as well. Now's the time to really get after them. Fisher Tanker camera guy, Farnsworth, Tim Farnsworth was just out and had a, had a really, really strong day, a real strong day at North Park, one of his best ever. And he commented, it's just going to get better as it cools. So uh, big fish are available right now. It's also a good time to to throw some big baits. You know, the, all the all the bait fish in the ecosystem have grown up for the year. We don't have any of the young of the year bait fish anymore. They're all grown up. So our shad are two inches. I was down here behind the house here at Horseshoe the other day. A big school of shad came in. The smallest ones are two inches now. So you know, you can start using good-sized baits, and uh, and the fish have that propensity for wanting a big mouthful right now. And so it's a good chance to uh, to use the size of those baits to help you out. Uh, I was just out at a private lake that's heavily stocked, and those fish can be tricky to get to bite. I was out there actually doing some rifle practice, but I was at the lake. I thought, well, geez, I better fish. Well, I used a full-size five inch long soft swim bait to target trout in this lake that's heavily stocked with trout and they ate it better than any of the small lures the other people were throwing by far and uh and it just goes to show you that they're just looking for a big bite right now good time to get get some baits out and do that helps your bait get noticed as well i i think you're absolutely right i think this time of the year especially the water cools people are cool they feel uncomfortable and everything in their instinct tells them oh it's going to be slow i need to downsize well that might be in the spring but that's not now you need to use big baits if you're out in the boat on that deep structure do you have a favorite presentation yeah i mean it's hard for me to put down a spoon at this point uh, some sort of a jigging spoon as time's going on i've i've been burying my spoons up more and more and we're talking about big baits one of the things that jigging spoons a lot of times don't offer is a large profile and so i've been using a johnson sprite which is technically a saltwater spoon um but it's relatively thick and dense so it's obviously dense it's made out of steel but it's it's relatively thick spoon but it's got a big profile and I'm using them in a one-ounce version, and it's probably twice the size of a traditional one-ounce jigging spoon in terms of the profile of it. 
but but because it's nice and heavy, it still flood you know flutters very nice and it gives the fish a big thing. But a, a spoon vertical or semi vertical where I'll make a long cast and let it go down on slack line and work it back uh, in, a, in a lift and drop mechanism or, or movement I should say uh, is a very very common thing for me to do right now. Uh, potentially a blade bait, but I feel like this time of year this the spoon either a, a true jigging spoon or a flutter spoon is a better call. Uh, this time of year for me and that's the first thing i'm going to gravitate to if i'm if i'm fishing in one of the reservoirs if i am going to north park south park one of those it's going to be really hard for me to put a big jerk bait down and i mean a big one like a number 13 or number 15 berkeley hit stick uh you know the old school uh floating minnow baits the big floating minnow baits of some sort to be real hard for me to put that down and in that scenario same thing i tend to produce more and better fish if i pick up a, a, a an 11 or a 13 or or bigger than if i throw a smaller more traditional trout size bait i just don't think the fish move on it as well all right chad we are out of time but if people want more information from you where do they go Oh, they can find us on Facebook at Fishful Thinker. They can go to our website as well. We're done guiding for the year, but uh, but we'll start booking for spring here uh, pretty quick. And uh, But, yeah, Facebook or Instagram at Fishful Thinker for either one to be fantastic or my personal pages at Chad LaChance. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks very much, Terry. You guys have a great day. You bet. Thanks, Thanks Chad. We're going to wrap things up in a minute, and then we're going to get Dan Jacobs on here. Before we do, I want to talk. We talked a lot of ice fishing today. We're talking a lot of jigging spoons, blade baits today in open water. Those those presentations are going to cross over. If you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, you can uh, – there's uh, a jigging spoon from down in – uh, Pueblo on there. There's jigging spoons from Lake McConaughey, McConaughey on there. There's these. There's ice fishing that's filmed at Dowdy and Lake John and all across the state, right here in your backyard that you can watch and take advantage of. We're also going to continue with getting some of the most prominent ice fishermen in the world on the show. We had Steve Panaz. We had Dave Gentz. Now we're going to have Bro Brosdahl, Greg Clajo, our own Nate Zielinski, Austin Parr. We're going to get all these people on. We're going to talk ice fishing. And I will post some of the links to our YouTube channel, and I will post the podcasts with these major accomplished fishermen on our Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We put a lot of the information on this show on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You should follow it. We'll put some of these podcasts up. We'll tell you who's coming up again. So follow us on Facebook on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, I want to say, uh, thank you to T-Mobile, our newest partner, for joining us. We're just very excited about it. Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in studio? Mr. Dan Jacobs, yes. Well, is it, should I say Judge Dan Jacobs, or how should I address you, Your, your Honor? Your Honor is fine. Your Honor is fine. Uh, okay, I just want to make it right, you know, because I'm, I'm humbled in your presence. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, the one thing, you know, Dan, seriously, you know I'm a big sports fan. I follow sports. I played sports. I, I, the Broncos obviously been up and down and all over the place this year, but usually I have a, a gut feel going into a game. It's not always right. I have no gut feel about who's going to show up for the Broncos or Atlanta on this game. I'm having a tough time. You can, can you help me? Yeah, I think people are prop. Well, the, the, the Falcons are a favorite. Uh, the Falcons are a very talented team that just simply haven't been able to put it together. But if you look at their schedule, um, They've hung tough with some good teams, and they do have a, a, a couple of victories. 
it's it's going to be a tough road to hoe for the Broncos to travel and get that victory early on a Sunday on the East Coast. Well, you could say the Broncos hung tough with a couple of good teams, especially earlier in the year. They had two losses that really came down to the last minute or two of the game. Um, I I think the Broncos have quite a bit of talent on both sides of the ball. I think the Falcons are extremely talented on offense, but I'm not sure about their defense. Yeah, well, what, what I'm talking about is who, who have the Broncos really beaten impressively? Uh, the, the Broncos in their victories have really – they've hung tough with a couple teams. The Broncos just have not really impressed me that much. I've, I came into the season high on them. I think it's going to be a tough road to hoe for them in Atlanta, early game, on the East Coast. It's going to be tough, Terry. They'll really impress me. Their season will be 100% back on track. They'll be back at 500 in the thick of the playoff race. If they win, Terry, it'll be a huge win. Yeah, and it's, I, I, like I said, I have a, I'm not going in with any kind of a gut feeling. Dan, I'll let you go, and we'll close this out, and people can get your opinion over the next couple hours. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on YouTube. I want to say thanks to Kyle for manning the, the studio in uh, down in Denver and Karen for the communications keeping this runny, running. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobson Sports on 104.3 The Fan. Distance.